international anthem. A record label embodied by community. A community of artists, musicians, and cultural producers dedicated to their craft. Born in Chicago and proudly sprouting from the city's creative musical traditions, the community has grown into a global network of like-minded contributors true to the label's name. I'm Ayana Contreras, and in this program, we'll be diving deep into the albums of International Anthem in conversation with the creators, coloring the context, sharing the more intimate stories, and celebrating the humanity that's inherent in what you hear. Stay tuned. The record shop in Red Hook, Brooklyn is a community spot. It's about love and connecting people through music. The record shop hosts live performances, provides music lessons, and sells books and records. The inventory is an ever-changing mix ranging from the homely to the gourmet. All are welcome and encouraged to come on down. Follow the shop on Instagram at 360recordshop. This is the International Anthem Podcast. I'm Ayana Contreras. My guest is Jamie Branch. Yo, yo, yo. (laughs) This was the first face-to-face taping of the podcast, which was completed at International Anthem headquarters in Chicago. And from the very beginning, I wanted to make it clear to the composer and trumpeter that this was not an interview. Rather, a conversation. Sorry, that's a trumpet sound that will happen every now and then. It's just like a, I call it trumpet Tourette's. Or like a, or like a, that's trumpet Tourette's. That's got to be in the podcast. This is not an interview. Are we rolling? We're rolling. Okay. I also knew from the very beginning that this was going to be a unique meeting of the minds. We talked about visual scores, the serpentine path that Jamie took to making the new Flyer Die live album, and so much more. But I started our conversation asking about Jamie's name. This first question... It's, it's a weird question, and I don't know if anybody ever asks you this question, but I think about this a lot. Um, you, the actual spelling of your name now, you're using lowercase letters. Is that right? That's correct. Can we talk about this? Because yeah. I feel like it's such a particular thing that everybody has their own reasonings when they do choose to do this. Like, when did you decide that's what you wanted to do and why? Um, that's, that's an amazing question. So this is not an, inter- an interview, but that's an amazing question. So it's it's been a while now. Like I've always kind of preferred lowercase letters. When people ask, I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't need any like capitalist letters in my shit. Like let's get rid of that. Let's uh, let's have it all be the same. And so like, there's a structural way of syntax or something that's like ingrained, and the rules are kind of like they're they're made up. You know, like there are no rules, and like 
I I just want to be in control of that from myself. I don't want to like. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I, this is funny. I've never actually talked about this out loud, really. But yeah, like no capitalist letters. Like you know, just we go, we rock all overcase. That's really interesting. Yeah, I thought because I was looking at some of like liner notes and like bio information, and I noticed I'm like, oh, it's totally not capitalized. And that actually, I always think that's cool. I think a lot of the time I don't capitalize it, like when I have a choice over it, but I don't really have a preference in it one way or the other. It's like whatever is clever, which is kind of my persona with that but and you know if like you're working with someone and they notice that you know like that they kind of get you too there's like a layer of that that I've noticed that wasn't the intention but now that like I've been rocking that way it's like some people don't want to even hear about that you know they're like that's not the way we do it we can't do it that way like people straight up be like we can't and then like you kind of know where you're where you are with them or in a way you know it's like yeah you can or just like some people are really kind of uh, entombed by the rules, you know. Yeah. But it, it is a sensitivity level. Like you got to be sensitive to the mm. way that people are putting what they're putting down. That's true. That's a really good way to put it. A sensitivity level. So the other thing that I'm thinking a lot about is um, how you're sort of chameleonic in a lot of ways. You you like are very particular in your approach, your style, but at the same time, wherever you are, you fit in in a really cool way. Like, do you think of yourself as a chameleon at all? Um, I think of myself as somebody that like gets the music in the body first. And that's like where I run from. So like, I don't know if I thought of myself as a chameleon. I used, I got called that by a teacher in high school, actually, not in a positive way. So I like that now. It's like we're getting re. Uh, Tell me about that though. Wait a minute. Hold on. You can't just be like, oh. Yeah. This. I don't know. The teacher said that he thought, and, and you know, it's one of those moments that where you like got to stop and really think about something. He said something to the effect of like wherever I am that I kind of take on the persona of people around me or something like that kind of in like a I don't know not in a very positive way I remember that and it was kind of a good thing to hear maybe at the time because I got pissed about it and then I had to like think about why I was upset and I was like you know what that's bullshit like I I have a truth to myself and I'm honest to myself and yeah I can be in any I can be in a lot of situations and I'm just gonna I'm gonna be me you know and so, I mean, the teacher didn't like it. I also 
think, you know, what the vibe that you're saying is sort of like a person who's like sort of like nothing until they apply somebody else's thing onto their thing. That's what it felt like. But but the flip of that, like the other way to think about being chameleonic is being able to play off other people. Mm. Like your thing under like with them you're trying to figure out how does this dynamic work and you adjust like what you're doing in order to make it like a more harmonious combination sometimes And I think there's a sensitivity level to it, you know? And I mean, if we're going to, like, you know, whatever about whatever, but with music, I think it's it's so much about listening for me and then, like, making, like, just, like, strong decisions. Like, I don't want to be, um, I don't ever want to be timid. I don't ever want to be, like, in between. I want to um, be fully engrossed by what's happening, you know? And so, I, I mean, that's a compliment that can be in any sort of situation, you know, like... I love playing a lot of different types of ways, too. I was looking at um, an interview you did a while ago, and you were saying that before you went off to college, like, the idea of you being, like, a free jazz, quote-unquote, artist was, like, not what you were trying to do necessarily. Not that I you didn't s- even know, really, what it was. Yeah. Know? So what was it that sort of opened your eyes? Was there, I don't know, maybe not a moment, but, like, a time in your life that sort of opened that up? Yeah, like, probably, like, two months, three months after I got to college and I heard late John Coltrane. That is what happened. Like, my head, like, exploded. I had, like, a crisis of, like, what are we, what am I even trying to do? Like, quote-unquote, play jazz. Like, it's already been done. Like, the heights have been reached. What am I doing? And, like, you know, I, all of those things uh, don't matter. I mean, there's no, like, you know, there's no top of whatever. But just, like, hearing that music, like, blew my ears wide open. And I had already heard Ornette and Don Cherry. I heard that record my junior year of high school. And I literally thought it was, like, I was like, oh, it's Ornette's brand-new record. And my friend was like, I don't think so. This is, like, 99. <laughs> He's like, uh, it's like, he hasn't put out a record. And um, it was from 1959. That blew me away, but I didn't think of it as any different than any of the other music I was listening to. Like, I was listening to Ornette next to Miles, and I, and you know, later Miles, and I'm not even talking about later Miles, I'm talking about like 50s, 60s Miles, you know, like early 60s Miles. Um, and I just, I didn't really hear that they were like considered, you know, different things in the genre world, you know, if we're gonna attach a tag to something. Right. Um, TM. Which I also don't like doing. <laughs> I see. That's why I say, quote, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of folks are very like, mm, like that term, but it's like, mm, you know, whatever. Jazz? The, the, the jazz. Oh, well, jazz. I mean, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, jazz is super problematic. And it's like, I'm down to call it BAM, which is black American music. And I don't, and I also am down to like call it whatever people are going to call it around. I mean, it's like, it's it's a tough one. It's started as a, as a basically like a slur, you right. know? So it's fucked up. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what we call it. It's music, right? I mean, it doesn't matter to the music what we call it. 
And I kind of thought, try to think of everything as music. But yeah, jazz is super problematic too. But then what are you gonna do? Because it's like, I think there needs to be a term, you know, like not necessarily for the quote unquote record store or even for like Spotify. I think there needs to be a term because what terms do, it it creates something to rally around. Like Mm, community. That's interesting. Usually likes to have a term. Like we are this thing. Like, and so I, I understand like the value of it, the utility of it, but it's just like, what is it? Right. Can we call it it? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, actually, a lot of the old cats in Chicago, like the old arrangers and recorders, recording people, they call it the music. Yeah. They never actually use the music, yeah. The genres. Mm-hmm. It's just the music. Right. Which makes it feel bigger than everybody. Like, so I actually tend to do that. Like, when people say, What kind of music do you play? Because I, you know, when I DJ or do mm-hmm. radio, it's like, um, I'm always reluctant. Yeah. Because as soon as you say a name, like they have something in their head of what it is, right. and it may or may not fit that when they actually experience it. Right. And I always wonder, like, how deep they, you know, like, really? Is it, what are you asking me? Like, are you asking me something so you can, like, stop listening as soon as I say something, you know? Yeah. Like, that's such a trip. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it is. It's a super trip. I'm yeah. thinking a lot about that because it's just like, I mean, I use the term, quote unquote, I say quote unquote jazz, which is very funny. I use that term sometimes just because it's just like, I feel like a lot of the music that falls into that category that I love is sort of, I don't want to call it maligned, but people have this idea of what, quote unquote, jazz is. And it's based on like a very specific, very static thing Mm. that's like you said, that has been done. And it's like in the academy and it's like really square and sort of sad. And it's like, no, man, there's like this exciting music. And I'm like, and they're like, well, what is it? I'm like, well, I guess it's jazz. But I I mean, I don't know. And so like, I guess I use it for that reason. Again, like, like the utility of it, but not because it's like, that's the most accurate even sure word yeah. yeah so anyway back to that now so you you're listening to like coltrane and your mind is exploding and it's like what made you feel like you could fit into like this particular paradigm this sound this idea fred anderson in the velvet lounge that's what did it I went home to, like, that was my first semester of school, and I went home to Chicago, and that was around the time when I started going to the jam session on Sundays, and I would not play for a long time. Like, I didn't play for, like, at least six months of, like, going to the jam, Uh, maybe longer, maybe, like, maybe it took me a year, you know? But I knew that I wanted to play the trumpet, and I knew that I wanted to improvise, and I knew that I wasn't, like, a bebop-like prodigy, you know? And... I had a feeling that that wasn't what I wanted anyway. Although, like, you have people telling you what you want, you know, especially when you're young. Uh, But there was something about this music, the music, uh, that, like, felt like it ignited my soul. Like, 
that I needed to, like it wasn't like I wanted to do something, it was like I needed to be a part of it, I needed to. And so, um, yeah, it was really, it was the Double Lounge, and then, and then the Chicago Reader, like, literally just like looking, I would look through the, you know, who's playing. If I saw Josh Abrams' name, I would go. It was like one of my first cats that I kind of like glommed onto, you know? Josh tells his story like he was like one of the original members of the Roots. Did he ever tell you that story? Oh, yeah. I just think that that's, I just, sometimes you you think about origin stories and sort of like alternate realities. It's like, what if he had stuck with the Roots? Like, what would that have done? Like, what would that have been like? Yeah, I know a whole world would have been, I mean, <laughs> that, that's, yeah. That's a wormhole. It is. I, I love thinking <laughs> about that, like alternate realities. Like, what if this had happened? But I mean, there's, a, you know, I mean, it probably well, there's a thing. Ayana probably is happening right now somewhere and, else. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't do that. Because uh, here we go. I'll go there. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. It's a slippery slope. It's the metaverse. Oh my god. But yeah, I think a lot about that. And the other thing that I think is so valuable is I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have talked about the velvet. Mm-hmm. And that funky wallpaper, mm-hmm. and just like the experiences of being there and and woodshedding and experiencing the older generation and like passing that knowledge on, and just like how important it is. I just I think about that because I think about this year that we've been through and how there was a moment I, there were moments where I was sitting home alone, and a lot of people were sitting home kind of alone, like wondering like, is this going to go away? Right. This feeling, you know? And the transition I'm making here is it's just like, I'm listening to Fly or Die 2, which was recorded right before, you know, in the before times. And it's sort of just this beautiful reminder of sort of what was. And I wonder, like, from your perspective as a person who was there in that moment, I'm just sitting listening to a, like a record, right? Um, what were what were your feelings like listening back to it? Like I don't know if you were isolating or what you were doing, but like what were your thoughts about like that moment? The moment of the moment listening back to the moment that was recorded, like in retrospect, sort of. Right. You know, I don't think I spent a lot of time with my own music. Well, with well with Flyer Die too. Um, when the pandemic hit, I didn't. I uh, we were on tour, and um, we had done two days of like twenty one or something, and it was like a really hard break. Like all of a sudden, everything's over. Like return the rental van, like all that, and that all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like Brooklyn, New York City. It felt like the apocalypse, you know, and it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, but it was. Uh, if it was, it was like extremely isolating, and I kind of couldn't bring myself to listen it was like almost too much and in fact the live record that we just put out um they the woman from moods they sent it to me in like may of 2020 um and i couldn't i didn't listen to it i couldn't listen to it and it was a video too so like i think i popped it on for a second and i like saw something i just like turned it off i didn't listen i didn't watch it and it wasn't until September, October, it's like six months later, or not, I mean, not quite, might have even been November though, for real, that I like 
watched it, listened to it, I was like, oh my God, like, I miss this. I want this. And also, I got to call Scotty. This is a good recording. that record in late 2018 we recorded in like november 21st 22nd 2018 um and when we recorded flyer die one it was like in june of 2016 and we all thought like hillary clinton was about to be president and like that was like you know and and so it was like before covid Everything was, like, the tension was mounting, 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 you know? Uh, I mean, at least that was, like, my, what I felt from the experience. It just felt like everything was coming to a breaking point, you know? Also, we had just come off, recorded Flyer Die 2 in 2018. Also, we had just come off, like, a three-week tour, so the band was, like, cooking, and it was, like, it was... While all of that is going on around you, it's kind of like in this little zone, we have this, we have this thing happening. And we're really lucky that we're able to get that down, you know? Uh, we recorded the two live shows and then two days in the studio. And it was just kind of, it was like grabbing that moment in time, you know? talking about fly or die um the first one mm-hmm. and then yeah and it's like the difference between the two like you had some personnel switch ups so mm-hmm. like fly or die one recorded in new york but with cats who had been on the scene in chicago yes. and so for me i think of it as being like in a chicago adjacent record in some ways it I, definitely i would agree yeah 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 um so like the, what was the is outside of that, like, what other differences did you feel like 
would you would you ascribe to those two albums? I mean, sonically, of course, but I mean, like in terms of just the overall like underlying like culture on the record. Mm. So, Flyer Die Two is a band, and Flyer Die One was the second time that a quartet grouping ever really played together. You know, that's a big, huge difference for me. So we played in January of 2016, and Scotty came. And well, I set up a show for the Nick Masarella Trio, and then he called me like a few months later and was talking about recording the quartet. And so Fly or Die, the first one, that's like, it's a brand new thing, you know? I had played a lot with Jason. I had played a fair amount with Tamika. Chad, like the first time I called him was for the January show. Um, I've been a fan forever. I like Chad. <laughs> He's really a Oof. versatile musician. Chad is like, yeah. yeah. And cool. So cool. So nice. So charming. He's dashing. Um, <laughs> we love Chad. Um, but, you know, that's like, it's a very like, it's like an infant, you know. Flyer Die 2 is like the terrible twos or whatever, you know. Now we're in it. Um, we're in it. And Lester came on in January of 2018. So Tamika just got too busy to take on touring. I mean, Tamika's an all-star. Um, so Definitely. Lester's an all-star too, but Lester's 10 years younger than me. His, you know, he hasn't been gobbled up yet, you know. Because um, he will, because he's, you know, he's a genius himself. Um, but... This is now a band, like, Flyer Die 2 is a band that really knows each other, you know? We toured a lot, and even at that point in 2018, we had been hitting the road pretty hard. So that, like, culturally, that's that's where I, I go to. about sort of the forward-facing part of their art so the thing that people like random people can consume and then there's sort of like the backwards-facing stuff the stuff that the average person will never experience and so like with you I'm thinking sort of about like how you write your scores you know like you've got like sometimes the drawings the graphic notation all these other elements it looked like there was like some collage elements going on and your average person all they hear is the final product they will never see that and yet you put so much care in making sure that the score is like right and tight can you tell me about like how that 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 practice evolved and what you hope you know 
you get out of it? I realized that the way, you know, the way that you present your music to people, like that initial like blink, that's the it's a it's an impression. And so that's like kind of it's kind of where I got to it. It's like it Okay, it started back in the day when I started writing in this like sweet style. I would I would write on like 11 by 17 paper and like I had to go to Kinkos to make copies for it, right? Because you couldn't print that out at home or whatever. So I've like especially the Kinkos on North Avenue. I I've been like there so much in my life. Um making these like scores, kind of like big scores. Um and then there would always be issues with like the size of it and so I'd always end up cutting out the pieces of the score and then moving that to a different piece of paper now back in the day this is 11 by 17 I was still doing that and then at some point I was like it doesn't need to be 11 by 17 you can do it on like eight and a half by 11 and then not have to go to Kinko's either you know like let me make your life easier so I would I still write on big paper but then I cut it out and I rearrange it on like a piece of like printer paper just like blank paper and then as soon as you don't have staff paper as soon as you don't have like this like grid that you're working on you have all this like negative space in between I just you know I'm I'm a drawer also you know so I kind of just start connecting the dots I really feel like the music doesn't happen on the page that's not the music this is the music like I'm for everybody out there, I'm gesturing to the air around us. This is the music. All the music is right here. The page is just like a communication tool, right? And so I realized that like with Flyer Die 2, I made a like step from Flyer Die 1 where I added color. Because like when we recorded Flyer Die 2, when we did the sets in London, that was the first time that we had played the music as a whole. And so we had very little rehearsal. Um, and I had this idea that if I kind of like color coded things a bit, like, and they and, and they just glance down at the score while, while we were playing, they see yellow and be like, oh, that's that Simple Silver Surfer tune. That's that Calypso tune or whatever, you know? Or they see blue and that's the blues, you know? That's a little on the notes, but what are you gonna do? Uh, and so like, that was a revelation for me, just about the way that people take in information, like, you, you, it, your brain memory can be cued by so many different things, you know? Like, probably just like take a, I don't know, like a strawberry smell or like a fart smell or something and be like, this is the blues. <laughs> um, that's getting a little out, but... Saying, it's so interesting is I'm thinking about these scores. It's reminding me of, um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, Louis Armstrong, he would decorate his reel-to-reel boxes with all kinds of like cutouts and drawings and all these other things. Like all of the reel-to-reel boxes, like 
at his like like from his home studio and stuff were all like augmented and really interesting there's like a whole book that was released it's called like satchmo something or other that is just these boxes and i'm thinking about that especially talking about sort of like the non-forward facing side of the art because i don't think he ever wanted well i don't think he ever intended for anybody to see that but he did he felt like that was a big part of his musical expression you know way in which to like physically visually manifest that stuff but yeah I think a lot about that like do you ever think about like what these scores like a way in which to I don't know like display them or put them in something or involve them in something that people could see or is it just literally just for you and like your band and like it's an intimate thing that's like just for y'all um I guess I'm somewhere in between right so like I've put a you know I've put a picture of the scores in Flyer Die 2 for that it's I I've never I don't make them so that they can be displayed that's not but um I you know I make visual art so like if someday I had scores in a you know an art show that would be dope I think um I'm not against the idea it's not like a secret thing for just me um and the band I want everybody to be able to see you know what people that's how we learn right like by seeing how people do things but no I, I won't yeah I just wonder about that though because it's just like I feel like this culture now is about every fucking thing. It has, has to, to be, be content. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. And it's so, so sucking. You know, being an artist is like being an iceberg, right? They see the top. They see the, like, part sticking out. But it's like all the other shit that is actually, that's what, that's what, it's not a career, you know, it's the way you live. It's the shit, you know? It's that, all that ice. Yeah, I do think that that's right. You see sort of the, end product or you Mm. see the top note and nobody really understands like what it takes to get it and I do think also the problem with this culture in a lot of ways is it makes because all all you see is the top it Mm. makes you think that it's easy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and people don't see your sweat right I mean they see your sweat yeah they see me sweat they see you sweat but you know what I'm saying outside of that outside of the performance (laughs) sweat like they don't see the sweat that happens on a Tuesday afternoon on a Tuesday yeah uh no they usually don't unless I pop on Instagram live and show them you know but that's goes to the thing right like right it goes to the thing it goes yeah I usually delete my live videos I don't you know just delete that it was just a moment saying what's up it is a very weird like voyeuristic it it, like you know the problem one of the problems is like when when the t- intention of the art becomes to be an end when it's an end goal intention you know whatever that may be when it becomes commodified in that way uh, that's always I mean that just doesn't make for good art I don't think So Fly or Die came out, the first one came out, what year was that? 2017. But it was like recorded 2016. It was recorded in 2016. But that wasn't the first album that you recorded, but it was the first one that came out, is that right? It's the first one that like, yeah, came out. It's the first one as a leader that came out proper, yes. I got three in the bag, you know, that may or may not see the light of day ever. 
Um, and they're not as good. But they're... Part of the process. But it's part of the process, you know. I'm not, not proud of them, you know. Um, but I also was trying to do the job of being the record label. I was trying to self-release vinyl. You know, it's hard. I just ran out of money, and then I was, <laughs> that was it, you know. And I'm not saying anything about that. It's just like, you know, it's hard to do. It's hard to do all the jobs. And, like, that's another part of this culture we're living in. Like, especially with COVID, all of a sudden musicians have to be videographers, too. They got to have premiere. And it's like no one music, like most musicians' computers can't even handle premiere. I mean, like, that's its own special art form, you know. And and that's kind of a bummer, I guess, where, like, where things are now so easy to get to, like, a, a very base level or even a novice or a beginner or, like, slightly intermediate. But you, but it's, it's hard. It's always hard to get over that hump to become, like, you know, to, to become whatever you're trying to do or, or just do whatever you're trying to do, like, make a, make a film, make an album, you know? Like, there's a lot in between, like, getting logic and putting out Flyer Die 2 or something. Like, those things are, it's all part of the process, but it's so easy to get in now um, that it, everyone's kind of, like, pressured to, to, like, keep dripping into other areas, and it's tough to do everything at a high level. I mean, some people do, and then it's like, wow, you're like a... I a, just think y'all shouldn't have to, but you know say lovey although although i agree i think we're in this generation i think we're about the same age where it's like we're right before everybody became a, like a multidisciplinary artist right where you could actually like before us you could focus on one thing and you were still like considered a really full like and you know what i'm saying like wow this is a really really like great disciplined artist like who's doing like a thing and now it's like well you got to do this and this and this and this just to survive but that's also i mean like i think part of that with musicians there's like sort of the implosion of a lot of these record labels that were doing a lot of those jobs. Mm. Where it's like now all of a sudden a lot of folks, they gotta be an AR man mm -hmm. or woman or person, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like everybody's not good at that. No. No. That's what I like about getting older and like I like know where my deficits are. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm just I need some help. One last thing. The other thing I love about getting older is that I have a better sense of who I am. And I can feel that power and feel that orbit. And everybody out there, we all have this energy. We all have this orbit. We're little light beams of love, each one of us. So feel it and let's go. Let's fly. Take care. <laughs>